0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah! time once again for Evidence for Faith, the show where we help Christians become thinkers and thinkers become Christians. Hello, I'm Keith Kendricks. i Kirk Hastings. And today we're going to be talking again about the search for truth. Can we discover the meaning of life through logic and reasoning and building just on what we can know for certain? Our website is evidenceforfaith.com. And we have podcasts available there, or you can also check out iTunes. If you'd like to email us, email us at email at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. Well, Kirk, I found an interesting news item today before we get into our topic. This is from the Answers Journal, January this year. And they're talking about something called biomimicry. Biomimicry is where scientists are studying the world of biology to try to figure out how to engineer things better. So this is really amazing, some of the things that they've been doing. They looked at dragonflies, and there is a group of engineers that have actually built a tiny motorized flying vehicle that... Flies in the same manner as a dragonfly does. It weighs one ounce and it flaps its wings in a similar manner to a dragonfly. So, just an amazing thing. Other things that they're doing, there's a team of engineers who are looking at alternative energy by studying plant photosynthesis. That one seems kind of obvious. Also, there's a team that are working on creating a flagellar motor. Now, We've talked about the flagellar motor in the past, and it's a little like an outboard motor that bacteria use to travel through whatever medium they're in. So they're trying to develop this to see if they might be able to move medications through the human body, and just fascinating. Then another article they had in here about how engineers are looking to create a new type of concrete that doesn't break by studying human muscles. So this is really fascinating too. And apparently, this type of concrete actually flexes. So really amazing. Then there's a, a group that is studying self-cleaning and underwater adhesives. So and where do you think they're getting that from? They're looking at the fingertips of frogs. So
1: I'm, I'm still wondering what you do with a miniature motorized dragonfly. What's uh, the practical well, maybe, application of that?
0: Maybe it might make a great spy vehicle.
1: That's true. You know,
0: they could lift a small micro camera and fly it around. So
1: so the, uh, the old saying that I wish I was a dragonfly on the wall would come true, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Kirk, let's get into our topic today. Can I make a quick announcement first? Oh, absolutely.
1: I want to remind people once more about this coming February 12th, which is a very special day. It's Academic Freedom Day. It is also Question Evolution Day. There you go. And a friend of ours who has a website which is uh, celebrating that wanted wanted us to pass that word along. He goes by the moniker Cowboy Bob, and his website can be found at piltdownsuperman.com which is a pun on uh, one of the many fossils that they found that they theorized have been the missing link but turned out to be a little less than that.
0: (laughs) That's right. Uh, Yeah, like a fraud.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's another way of putting it.
0: (laughs) Now, Kirk, what are you supposed to do for Question Evolution Day?
1: Well, right now it's kind of tied in with Academic Freedom Day. It's just uh, where um, Cowboy Bob is trying to spread the word that it's okay if you have questions about evolution or if there are some things that don't quite seem to scientifically fit together. Uh, it's okay to ask questions about it. Unfortunately, there there's a lot of uh, attitude in the modern media and even in scientific circles that if you even – to question the idea of Darwinian evolution, you must be a crackpot or something. Right, right. So we're saying, no, it's okay to question it. If you have legitimate questions, scientific or otherwise, ask them.
0: Just like in the 60s when they said, question authority. Yes. So in this case, question scientific authority. There you go.
1: Though I hope there's not a question authority day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard of that one yet. (laughs) So I guess you would put a bumper sticker on your car that says Question Evolution or wear a T-shirt that says Question Evolution or something like that?
1: That would be a good idea. We'll have to ask Cowboy Bob if he wants to make some of those up and sell them.
0: (laughs) There you go. Well, today, this will be our third week we're looking at the meaning of life and can we figure it out just by using reason or logic. What we're doing is we're going through a book called Me, the Professor Fuzzy and the Meaning of Life by David Pensgard. And we hope to have David on as a guest next week. But he's written a really intriguing book. It, he's obviously a very talented artist, and he's made a kind of a cartoon book, I guess. I don't know if there's a name. It's not really a graphic novel, so I'm not sure what you would call this. But anyways, whatever it's called, it's like a like a comic book, except it's a book. And he goes through some very intellectual ideas, step by step. Can we discover the meaning of life by starting from basic principles? What are the basic things that we know for certain, and then because we know a couple things by certain, does that tell us something more that we can know for certain? Mm-hmm. So... For me, this has been just a fascinating process to go through this book and help our listeners follow this line of reasoning and see where it's gotten us. So let's take a look then, Kirk, at where we have gotten so far. We have come up with six things that we can know absolutely for certain. So in two weeks, it's taken us two weeks or two hours to come up with six things that we know for certain. So they are that you are thinking. We also know those who think exist. And based on those two things, we learned that, therefore, you exist. We figured out that because you're thinking, you exist in time. Okay, that's the fourth item. Mm -hmm. And then logically, we have to assume that the outside world exists, at least that it's certainly as real as we are. Mm -hmm. And finally, we learned all events are caused, and this is just from the law of cause and effect. Every event in the universe has a cause. So now we're going to move on. We're going to try to add one more piece. If you remember last week, we talked fairly in-depth about thermodynamics, the three laws of thermodynamics, because they're the most studied laws uh, in science. And, and they're also the most proven laws in science. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, we wanted to look at what we could learn from that, what we could know for certain. But before we start using what we learned about thermodynamics, let's add one more piece of information to what we already know. Okay? And it's a result of the fact that we, one of the statements we know for certain is that we live in time. And it also goes along with the idea that all events are caused. And it's the fact that two specific possibilities exist. Okay? So here it is. Ta-da. One more piece that we know for certain. Things may have a beginning and an end. All right? Okay. Well, gee, that sort of makes sense, right? I mean, I think you knew that, right? I think you can say that pretty well
1: for certain, can't you?
0: Absolutely. I mean, this show had a beginning and it's going to have an end. Right. At least the
1: listeners hope so.
0: That's right. It could go on forever and ever. Infinity to infinity and beyond. (laughs) So uh, the car that you're driving in or drove to wherever you are in, that had a beginning, has an end. And you, too, are going to have an end, right? Everything has an end. Even the universe will end at some point. Yep. I think most people know that. There's this kind of guaranteed destruction label stamped on the universe that eventually the entropy and if you remember from last week entropy is just a scientific word for disorder so the disorder in the universe is going to reach its maximum level and there will be no more useful energy left to do any work so all the stars are going to burn out All life will die, and the temperature will be somewhere close to zero. As we learn from the third law of thermodynamics, it never actually reaches zero, but it will forever reach. The sun will burn out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Unless something big happens before that. So now we can add what we know for certain about thermodynamics, and that is the second law itself. The second law of thermodynamics is the most secure scientific law that can be obtained from observation. Right. Every, every experiment ever done has shown us that entropy or disorder always increases. So there's something more that we know for certain. Just by what we know about the universe, entropy is always increasing or disorder is always increasing right now i like we to all, say that go go away
1: for a while and leave your house or your bedroom or whatever uh, by itself for a while and then come back and see how much more orderly it is
0: exactly yeah, yeah. it will be covered in dust things will will be starting to fall apart right if you have a, if you've left a pet pet behind, you'll see how much damage the pet can do. <laughs> uh, if you didn't leave food and water for the pet, you'll see how pets decay, <laughs> when,
1: or how when windows it, get broken when it right. escapes. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> so we know that all living things are deteriorating. I mean, you know, I reminded of that just driving my car. It seems to be falling apart. Yes, all of so, our
1: cars are very slowly or very quickly, depending on your car falling apart.
0: (laughs) That's right. So, it is absolutely certain that the end of the universe is coming. Yep. Okay? No doubt about it. There is something we can't doubt that the universe is going to end. And this... As you know, you recall from last week, it's a result of existence, time, and the second law of thermodynamics. So just like so,
1: those old movies, at one point there's going to be a big flourish of music and there'll be a big the end across the sky, right?
0: That's right. And that's how you know when an opera is over, right? When the right. fat lady sings. When the fat lady sings. <laughs> then it's over. <laughs> so the second law of thermodynamics then, that entropy is always increasing, leads us to... To another inescapable conclusion. One more thing that we can add to the list of certain things. Things that we know are absolutely true. Right. And that is that the universe is winding down. Yep. Okay. So another building block into our edifice that we're building. In fact, in the book, Me, the Professor, Fuzzy and the Meaning of Life by David Pensgard, there he draws actually these statements these conclusions that we know for certain as if they're chiseled in marble, and then he begin, he begins to build this big structure. Mm-hmm. So, so this uh, is point
1: number seven. The universe is winding down. Oh, good. You're keeping track. Yes. yes. <laughs> point number seven. Oh, or no, brick number uh, seven, or however you want to say it.
0: No, let's see. Weren't we up to six before?
1: Yes. Well, we have six. One.
0: So this is number eight, because seven was entropy is always increasing. So real quickly, oh, okay. we've added two more things. Entropy is always increasing and the universe is winding down. Isn't that the same thing? (laughs) Well, no, not really. Um, Entropy is talking about anything like you talked about cars and the house. You know, everything, our own bodies are increasing. but So then we conclude from that... That the universe itself is winding down. Okay, so so that's just a logical conclusion that follows from what we know about the second law of thermodynamics. Okay, scratch scratch what I said from the tape. This is number eight. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Keep track on your uh, note cards, there, folks. Right. Well, I guess we should tell people if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm
1: Kirk Hastings.
0: And we are talking about the meaning of life and how we can get there by just thinking logically and following a chain of reasoning. All right, so those two new things that we learned lead to something more. Here we go. number nine. Yeah, this is going to be number 9. Let's think carefully. All right. So the fact that a thing is degrading to an end requires that it had a beginning. Oh, All right? Wow. Does that make sense? I wish we had a drum roll right about here. Oh, yeah, we need our sound engineer to do sound effects for us. Yeah, we do. You think he'd do that? Oh, he's—oh, he, yeah—he's he's <laughs> tapping on the table. That's his—that's the extent of his sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, next time he can bring his drum set with him and set him up in the studio.
1: Yeah, we'll have to get some uh, sound effect things, like a little horn and all those things the comedians used to use on old time radio.
0: There you go. Or like, who's that Mad Money where he's got those buttons he can push? Right. <laughs> yeah, that, we need that. All right, so. Things that uh, Something that's degrading to an end has to have a beginning, right. okay? The energy available to do work in the universe we know is decreasing over time. We looked at that last week. Right. But the energy available to do work could not have exceeded the total amount of available energy, okay? So we know there's an available amount of energy in the universe, and part of that energy is available to do work. So that's always decreasing. If you go backwards in time, you extrapolate back. There's a point where all of the energy in the universe is available to do work, and that's as far backwards in time as you can go. When all the available energy was once available to do work, that's the earliest possible date. In other words, it's a beginning. Right. So there is a beginning to the universe. And it's just like the we talked about the analogy of the sand dropping out of an hourglass. So just by looking at the hourglass and seeing that sand is falling out of it, you can imagine in your head backing that up. At one point, there's a point where all the sand in the hourglass is in the top half. Right. And that's the point at which it got turned over. Okay. Okay. So just like that, just like in the universe, we now know, so what is this, number nine, you said? Yep. Number nine, truth number nine, fact number nine, the universe had a beginning. And that's something I think that cosmologists now admit, the universe had a beginning. So we could also say that the universe, let's look at this in a in a different way, let's look at this as motion, right? Things in the universe move around. So we're following the logic of David Pensgard in his book. He asked the question, what about motion? Where did motion come from? It's another argument about what happened at the beginning. And this is an argument that Aristotle used, and he called it the prime mover. He (laughs) called God the prime mover. So you can kind of figure out that the original source of all the kinetic energy, or, you know, that's the energy that is in motion, so moving things have kinetic energy, has to have had a beginning. There has to be an original source. And we know that because of three things. First, we know the universe exists. Okay? Second, we know that events occur within the universe. And third, we know that events require that something caused them, mm-hmm. okay? So there must be a prime mover. There must be something that started all the motion in the first place. If anything is in motion, then an original mover must have existed. It's like looking at a room full of dominoes all lined up, Right. okay? Let's say they're all lined up. If nothing's moving, then you don't need a an original pusher, right? Right. An original force. Then they're all going to remain standing up. That's right. And let's say that you walk into the room and you see that the dominoes are all starting to fall down. Right. Well... You know immediately that somebody pushed one of them over. Somebody or something, or right? a breeze came in the window, or whatever. Or maybe just the breeze from when you walked into the room. Right. right? Something, or you know, you shook the floor and knocked one of them over. <laughs> right. They got to lose some so, weight. Right. If anything's in motion, then there must be an original mover that must exist. Right. Now. David Pensgard gives a really interesting illustration of how we might figure out something like this. He asks us to imagine a freight train, okay, is blocking the road. So you're driving along or walking along a road, and you get to a train crossing, and there's a freight train going by. Right. Okay. Has this ever happened to you where you you look to the right, and the train seems to have no end? And you look to the left, and for as far as you can see, there's nothing but boxcars. And that train seems to be going really slowly. And the first thing you think is, I'm going to be late for work. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I'm going to be here forever, right? (laughs) But just because you can't see the end of the train, does that mean that the train really does last forever? Nope. Right? You can know that the train really isn't endless. I mean, it really isn't going to go on forever. First of all, you know that the train exists, okay? And you know that it's moving. So you'd be right in assuming that the train is not infinitely long. At some point, the train has an end. It has a caboose somewhere. It's got a caboose somewhere, right? (laughs) Yeah. And. And the the second law of thermodynamics tells us that perpetual motion machines are impossible. Right? There there are no such things as perpetual motion machines. Right. So the train can't go on moving forever. Right. If it was infinitely long, it would have been moving forever. So it can't be infinitely
1: long. And also, you know that uh, it must have an engine somewhere that's either pushing or pulling it.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. That's how you. That's how you can conclude. Uh, that's how you figure out that there is an engine. Right. I mean, you got to figure out how is it moving. Right. So if it
1: was just a bunch of boxcars, they wouldn't be moving.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, I guess, hmm, that's interesting. Suppose you release them. Suppose they were going downhill. So I (laughs) think we should modify this illustration. But still you know that there is going to be an end, but you would also know that somebody had to release them to get them to go downhill. Sure. Or somebody had to push them uphill in the first place. Right. All right, but anyways, let's get back to Let's assume it's level ground and you see boxcar after boxcar moving along you would look at how they're moving right how are they moving all right well you would notice that they're coupled together and you'd be able to tell that each car is being pulled by the car ahead of it right the the cars aren't pushing each other one car is pulling another car, which is pulling the other car, which is pulling that car. So no car is moving unless it's pulled. Right. right. Now, that goes along with one of our previous things that we knew for certain. I don't know which number it was, but one of the things we said that we knew for certain is that all events are caused by... So that's the law of cause and effect.
1: That's fact number six.
0: So, oh, okay, great. All (laughs) events are caused. So now you can assume this is where we get to your engine, right, Kirk? Now you can assume that there is some kind of a car or an engine car, something that has to be different from all the other cars, right? Because if it was just another car, it wouldn't have the ability to pull anything else, it would need itself to be pulled. Right. So there has to be something that's different from the cars that has the ability to pull things. So this is the original mover. This is the prime mover. This is the original engine car. Right. So, the engine on a train is the prime mover. Sounds good to me so far. There you go. It pulled the first car, which pulled the second car, and so on, all the way down to the last car, which we already said can't be infinitely long. The caboose. Yep. So, there's an end. There's a last car somewhere. Right. So, we would deduce, though, that the engine must be the beginning of the train.
1: That sounds reasonable.
0: So what you know about trains and the way that the world works makes it easy to figure out. Right? All sure. of this is fairly easy. Just sitting there for the hour or so that it takes for the train to go by, we'd be able to figure out all this. Now,
1: I've never seen anyone sitting at a railroad crossing, you know, scratching his head and thinking, gee, I wonder how that, this thing is moving by here.
0: <laughs> yeah, but let's say that you didn't know about uh, trains. You would still be able to figure it out. Yeah. Just by what you know about the universe. Right. So, and the same thing is true for the universe as a whole. We can figure this out. We can figure out that there is a prime mover, right? Just by thinking about the universe. Yeah. The universe is very much like a machine that we find in motion, right? It has laws of operation, right? And we looked at those last week. They were the laws of thermodynamics. And those laws tell us that this machine is running down, this, the universe is running down. So we know entropy is always increasing, therefore it can't be perpetual, therefore it hasn't been around forever, and it will someday stop.
1: Can you kind of compare this, using the train analogy, to the fact that the engine is eventually going to run out of gas?
0: Yeah, the well that's right. It it can't be even the engine itself can't be a perpetual motion machine itself. Right. Right? right? It's wearing down, it's part of the universe.
1: Eventually so. its usable energy is going to go to zero. Exactly.
0: Yep. So do you have do you have the list you it sounds like you're numbering them because I'm I'm not numbering them, so Yes,
1: I've got them numbered.
0: <laughs> okay. So let's go let's go through the list again. Okay, number
1: one is you are thinking. Okay. Number two is those who think exist. Okay. Number three is you exist. Mm-hmm. Number four is you exist in time. Fact number five is the outside world exists. Number six is all events are caused. Number seven is entropy is always increasing. Number eight is the universe is winding down. Mm-hmm. Number nine, the universe must have had a beginning. And number 10, we are coming up on.
0: And we're coming up on. So we're working on this idea about motion and is there a prime mover? Okay. so, So let's think about that a little more. We know that every little piece of our universe is moving, right? There are all kinds of molecules. It doesn't matter how small you make the piece, something's always moving. Planets are moving around suns. People are moving on top of planets. And... Inside our cells, we're all there's all kinds of motion. And even down to the atomic level, molecules are moving around, banging into each other. And Protons
1: and neutrons even, and all that kind of stuff yeah, are moving around.
0: Atoms and parts of atoms and all that. Right. So they're all pushing each other. They're bumping into each other. They're all, you know, even I guess if, you know, some of them are sticky, they could be pulling on each other. But the universe is just this world. And, and each of those would be an event. Right, each of those things that is happening is an event, and since we know that nothing moves until a force is placed on it, right? We talked about all events are caused. Then we can see that there has to be an original force that must have begun the cascade of mo of movement, right? Of motion, right? That we see today. We look around the universe, everything's in motion, everything is moving, and we know that the only way for something to move is that something else bumped into it or moved it or pushed it. So, again, this lets us add another proposition or another fact that we can know for certain to our list, and that is, drum roll, <laughs> motion requires a prime mover. All right. So, what number was that? Did you say it's that was number ten? Number ten. We're up to ten facts that we can know for certain. This is amazing. Right. We are. We are making good progress. We're becoming mental giants here. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Actually, unfortunately, everything seems a little obvious, right? <laughs> so, although it should you know, be anyway. Well, the yeah, the basic things like I exist and stuff like that. I mean, that that's sort of obvious. But actually, now we're starting to get into fields that maybe people haven't thought much about. Right? right. I mean, maybe you sat at that road and saw the train passing by and never thought about it. Right? You never thought about what could be making it move, how does it move, there must be, therefore, there must be an engine. Right? You sort of just accepted things. So maybe you're just accepting the fact that everything is moving around you and that the only way for things to move is for something to cause them. I think they call that there's actually a logical fallacy called lazy induction, where you've got two premises and you don't draw a conclusion from them. You know, I guess you're just not paying attention or you're just not interested. But yeah, that's interesting. You,
1: I think there's yeah. a lot of that going on today.
0: <laughs> I think there, yeah, what, lazy uh, lazy induction? Yes. <laughs> or lazy deduction, whatever it is. So, yeah, so, but if you do think about it, then obviously – we can determine that motion requires a prime mover, what Aristotle called the prime mover. Hopefully
1: most people, when they were fairly young children, figured all this out, you know, kind of naturally. And then you get used to it, and then you don't think about it anymore.
0: Yeah, you know, it's true that children do have and do believe in God early on, but this seems to be something that's innate and built in from what the psychologists Uh, are telling us about studies of small children, that they have an innate uh, belief in God. So this seems to be different from, you know, thinking about it logically. But I think that...
1: Well, I don't know. Could it it almost be like these ten things we've gone through that when you're a little kid you just... Um, naturally put these things together in your head, and then you come to the conclusion, well, you know, the idea of God makes sense, because if everything that I know is started by something else, then it must have been started by God, and you just, you know, it's just a natural, logical progression for little kids. It's when we get older, we start trying to talk ourselves out of that.
0: Right, well, yeah, I guess that's the real point. Um, You know, for whatever reason, all children in all cultures have a belief in God, even atheistic cultures, children start out with a belief in God, you have to be talked out of it.
1: Right. That's exactly it. I I think kids are naturally kind of logical and intelligent, and they know how to put two and two together, and you have to teach them along the way, you know, something else. Because, you know, they, they there's certain basics in life that they kind of figure out for themselves. One of them is that God probably exists, and then they have to be talked out of that at some point.
0: Yes, right. And, you know, so for whatever reason that maybe you haven't put two and two together, you can now know just by this thought experiment that the beginning of the universe is a fact of history. Right. And the logical conclusion from that is that something's responsible for it. So, we're coming Um, rapidly towards our, what is the meaning of life? And that's what we're talking about. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And we are talking about the meaning of life. Can we discover what life is all about just by thinking rationally, just by starting with logic, not taking any assumptions for granted, trying to be open-minded but using logic as a filter so that we accept only those ideas and concepts that are logical and rational and what can we gain, what kind of knowledge can we gain. So at this point, let's go ahead and review again. Let's go through all these ten things that we we know. Kirk, you want to do the honors? Let's take a look at things we know. For, ten things we know for certain. Okay. Once again,
1: number one is you are thinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Number two is those who think must exist. Right. Number three. logical conclusion is you exist. Mm -hmm. The fourth idea we've uh, explored is you exist in time because it takes time to think. Right. All right. Number five is the outside world exists because we extrapolated from the fact that you exist and everybody else exists then there must be an outside world outside you that exists because the other person is your outside world.
0: Right. And and even if it's impossible to prove that the outside world exists, it's impossible to disprove it. Sure. So it's at least as real as we are.
1: Right. Okay. Number six, the uh, logical conclusion number six is all events are caused, Mm -hmm. which we just explored with the freight train idea. Number seven is entropy, which is... Losing energy is always increasing.
0: Right. Disorder. Yes, disorder.
1: Number eight is the universe is winding down. The universe as a whole is winding down because everything in it is winding down. Yep. All right. Number nine is the universe must have had a beginning because anything that's winding down must have originally been wound up at some point. Right. And number 10, drum roll, the presence right. of motion requires an original mover. That's right. That's right. Your freight train must have an engine.
0: Yes, it uh, Yes, it must. <laughs> All right. So now let's see if we can add one more item. Let's see if we can add an 11th thing that we know for certain. Okay. All right. Let's look, look at one more aspect that we know about the universe, and that is... We know that in the universe, there is the presence of what we call order or complexity. Right. Okay? Well, have you ever wondered where it all came from? Where did all this complexity and order come from?
1: Now, if you doubt that there's complexity in the universe, I have a good example for you. On Christmas morning, the bicycle set, the unassembled bicycle set that you gave your girl or boy. Yes. Try to put it together on your own without reading the instructions. <laughs> That's complexity.
0: Yes. Things can get complex really rapidly, right? <laughs>
1: yes. Or, or buy you one of those... Pieces of furniture like a bookshelf or whatever that you have to put together yourself, and it says, "Oh, simple instructions." And three days later, you're still fighting with this thing, and the shelves are all crooked and everything else. That's right. That's right.
0: So, and we know uh, from second law of thermodynamics, entropy is always increasing. What it, what is entropy? Entropy is disorder. Really? So we know that complexity is decreasing. So this goes along with what we were talking about. The other two arguments, so this is a similar argument to what we've looked at that the universe had a beginning, and that motion requires a prime mover.
1: So that as disorder increases, complexity decreases.
0: That's right. So this is an argument that's developed just based on what we know about complexity. Right. So because... uh, (laughs) Deplexity. That's easy for you to say. (laughs) Too complex of a word to say. Right. So because complexity is decreasing with time towards a minimum value, right, it's going down towards zero. Right. We know that it must have started at a very high level back in the beginning, right? Makes it's one sense. of those things. Yep. Something's going downhill, it must have been uphill beforehand. Right. It's something's getting smaller now, it must have been bigger before. Right. Right? And if you remember from our past discussion, order, I think this was on the first day, the first uh, hour We talked about how order can only come from an intelligence capable of directing force. Right, we said that there were two things that can overcome entropy, and that is life and intelligence. Yes. And intelligence is the only thing that allows you to actually go uphill, right? Temporarily. Temporarily, yeah, that's right. Instead of instead of just staying even, which is what life does, life allows you to keep from decaying right away <laughs> right. because you decay your food rapidly. Okay. Right? You eat something out of the universe, uh, out of the universe, out of the environment, and that decays quickly, gives you usable energy that you extend, you use in your body, and it prevents you, your body, from decaying away. Right. Well, what about evolution, okay? Doesn't evolution tell us that we can get complexity, that we don't need to have a high level of order at the beginning? That's Some people, what it claims. Yeah, that's right. Right, they point to life. They say that life can do that job without intelligence through the process of evolution, through increasing mutations and then natural selection, selecting those mutations that that are beneficial and that that can build up a more complex organism over time. Right, it can. So you're essentially adding complexity to the system. But even if right. that was possible, remember that evolution requires a replicating life form. Right? right? You have to have reproduction in order to have evolution. Right. Right? So what created the first replicating life form? Hmm. Right? Interesting and then, question. And then, not even thinking about living organisms, what about the rest of the universe? Remember, the rest of the universe is also decaying. So what created the high order, right, or the low levels of entropy? Right. right? What in the universe itself?
1: Where did all those high levels of energy first come from?
0: That's right. So that we know that the universe was younger, near the beginning, and there it was much more complex than it is now because we look all around us and we see complexity decaying. Increasing, Right. So the evidence clearly indicates that the universe had an original designer. Or so an that, original prime mover. There you go. So that brings us to the next thing we know for certain. Number Was 11. Number 11. Is that number 11 or number 12? Uh, I believe that's number 11. Okay. Number 11. The presence of complexity requires a designer. Okay so we see how the last three seem to go together the universe had a beginning a beginning for because there's motion we know there is a prime mover and now the presence of complexity tells us that there is a designer it requires a designer there must be something that can reduce entropy and increase complexity right somebody who can begin the universe there has to be a beginner And logic dictates
1: it would be something outside this universe because the universe in itself doesn't have the ability on its own to reduce entropy and increase complexity.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, that also relates to—I don't know if I can find it here. I've got this where we talked about that article from Answers Journal. There was another article in here that talked about mathematics, and there was a mathematical proof—yeah, here it is—by— Kurt Gödel, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Gödel. Mm, yeah, I guess that's how you. It's got the umlauts above the two dots above the O, so Right. I, I think that's Gödel. So he was he lived from 1906 to 1978, and he developed what was called the undecidability theorem. And basically, let me see if I can get the quote here from this article anything you can draw a circle around cannot explain itself without referring to something outside the circle whoa Some, yeah something you have this is something you have to assume but cannot prove okay okay so for um, for this reason his proof was called the incompleteness theorem <laughs> All right so the incompleteness theorem. So it's a mathematical proof that says whatever you're trying to explain has to be... If you can draw a circle around it, if you can contain it, if you can describe it, it has to be explained by something outside of itself. So obviously we can describe the universe. It seems to be some kind of self-contained entity. But this theorem says that you need something more. There has to be something more. If there's a natural, if there's the, the natural order there has to be something supernatural something outside of nature wow in order really to neat. explain it yeah remember never that, that before yeah that's great so i'd like to read more about that i'll have to look him up and and read something on that guy that was pretty interesting yeah so the presidents the presidents the presence of complexity i'm really having trouble with these <laughs> complex words today huh i guess so the presence of complexity requires a designer okay and anyone who denies this really undeniable result doesn't really fully understand the power that the universe has to degrade and destroy complexity, right? I mean, think about it. Things fall apart very easily. The yes. universe is just destroying everything. Organisms are going extinct. Anything that you build falls down. They're... Oh, Kirk, do you remember that, that famous poem about the king... A, this wanderer finds a a statue in the desert, and there's there's nothing there but this statue, and there's an insignia to this king. Was it? Gosh, somebody should call in and tell us a, tell us who that was. Aussie, somebody is that ringing a bell? Ozzie Nelson. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with, a statue to Ozzy Nelson. <laughs> That's the in only Ozzy I know. <laughs> well, so the inscription reads something like, uh, you know, look at my amazing. Statue, <laughs> uh, Yeah, my amazing conquests or something, and shudder, all you people, and think about me, the great whoever Aussie somebody. <laughs> I, I know I'm butchering this poem. This it's a poem, <laughs> and. So the idea is that here is this broken down statue out in the desert and this this civilization is long gone, long forgotten, but they thought they were going to last forever. They thought this society, this city that they had built right. was going to last forever. And well,
1: that's what they used to think about imperial Rome.
0: Yeah, absolutely, right? It was going to go on forever. Yep. But complex things just get destroyed. Every city ever built. Will eventually collapse into ruins. Yep. So well, so all you have we, to do
1: is look around you and look at the fact that human beings have to work constantly to keep everything from falling apart. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly right. So if we don't work, really, everything falls apart.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it really comes down to this: impossible things never happen ever. Right. This is. And it took this us is, all that
1: all this time to figure that out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, think about it, right? It is impossible. It's impossible that the entropy of the universe can decrease, okay, on its own. That right. is quite impossible. Right. It cannot happen on its own. It's a direct it would be a direct violation of the second law of thermo- thermodynamics. Right. And as a result, it will never happen, and that also means that it never has happened, right? right? It is impossible unless you believe in miracles. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, think about it. Something fact-
1: extraordinary must have happened in the past to set everything on the path it's on because it couldn't have done it itself.
0: Exactly right. Right? Yep. The fact that the universe exists as it does and that life exists is nothing short of a miracle. Yeah. Oh, and I, I got a note here from somebody. It was called The Poem That I Was Brutally... <laughs> <laughs> you got the title? <laughs> It is called Ozymandias. Ozymandias is by Shelley.
1: Okay. It's not Ozzie Nelson then.
0: (laughs) No. No, it's not Ozzie Nelson. It's Ozymandias (laughs) by Shelley. Okay. So I guess I will have to do penance or something. I'll have to read (laughs) the poem uh, next week. I should look it up. You'll have to
1: write it 100 times on the chalkboard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Ozymandias. Uh, I'll have to memorize it.
1: Yeah, well, thanks to that uh, person for writing that in.
0: The only way for... Complexity to have begun ha, have increased is for a miracle to have happened. Right. The fact the fact that the universe exists as it does right in this winding down like a watch that's winding down means somebody must have wound it up. Right. The fact that life exists is nothing short of a miracle. Right. Sounds reasonable to me. All right. So what is a miracle? <laughs> well, a, a miracle is something that happens even though it's physically impossible, okay, right? Okay, right. And it isn't a contradiction to what I just said about impossible things happening, okay? Let's see if we can go through this. What do we have, about a minute? I would oh, say, we're so. out of time. Yes. All right, well, we're going to save that then. How is that? Is that a contradiction or not? I said that impossible things don't happen, so how can miracles happen? We will save that for next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks.
1: And I'm Kirk Hastings.
0: And please send your comments or questions to email at evidenceforfaith.com with the call letters of the station that you listen to us on. And join us again next week for more reasons to believe. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.
1: That was